Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone, and welcome to the uh, what I think will be the penultimate edition of the Rider Rumblings video podcast. We're going to do one next week as well, presumably after Rider General Manager Jeremy O'Day meets the media following the Grey Cup. Uh, I'm here with Dr. Murray McCormick, our freshly bespectacled football <laughs> scribe. He's got new glasses, and as you can see, I need new ones. These things are bent, and the dog slept on them. So, um, We also got haircuts. I go this week. We both got Grey Cup haircuts, too. Not the mind <laughs> that noticeable, but we both got all cleaned up in case we we're going to go into the Great Cup. Yeah, I got a I got a haircut last week, and uh, and uh, remember, there's so many jokes I can make here. Uh, can I do it? Uh, <laughs> I guess I did. Your, did your barber use sandpaper? I mean, yeah. there's so many there's so many uh, tweezers. Um, uh, what kind of shampoo uh, do you use? Weed killer? Like there's so there's so many uh, <laughs> options here. So as I as I've said before, he uses me to catch up with his other appointments. Takes him ten minutes to do mine. <laughs> <laughs> and then he can catch up to the other 20 minutes in the in the half hour period. But I'll give Don White, White Oak a big shout out. He's been hard to believe, folks. Been cutting my hair since 1999. Boy, that's, and he hasn't missed a spot. Chair for 22 years. Yeah, <laughs> a long appointment, and he only yeah. charges you for 30 bucks. Not yeah. bad. Or 20. 20 what were you saying? 20 bucks. Been great. Yeah, good friend, good golfer. Go see him. North Victoria Square Mall. Anyway. Maybe we'll get some sponsorships out of this. Um, I've already mentioned Cornwall Optical. Um, we're here to talk about the Rough Riders season-ending loss to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Murray was there. I was not. Um, uh, 21-17, the Bombers won the West Final. There are so many directions to go. We, we could do a podcast that even goes longer than Murray's 22-year haircut, <laughs> dissecting everything that needs to be dissected. Um what do you make of this? Uh, what do you make of that game, Murray? It was, in some ways, it was a microcosm of the season, but I think uh, uh, maybe the offense redeemed itself a little bit in that game, although they only scored 17 points. I can't get over the fact they had six turnovers and lost, Rob. Yeah. I know there's many other issues in that game and things they did right, but they had five turnovers in the first half and generated 10 points. And I'm going, man, that's just not good enough. You've, that's something your offense somehow you got to go quick strike you got to go fast action you got to have a long drive they had short fields the bombers it could have easily been 21 to 7 for the bombers or even higher than that if they managed to score on those turnovers because they yeah, were in the end zone. Turnovers took points away from the bombers too i mean nick yes. dembski in the end zone and drew walatarski in the two yard line i mean oh. uh not only and did the riders get the ball but they it's where where are the, where they generate the turnovers on the field Although I'm not sure they generated the first one. Nick Dembski did. But. Yeah, but they still get credit. But And give Eli Buko great credit for that great return. It was what a, what a great option. For the fumble, forced fumble. Uh, forced fumble. And, and Ed Ganey for being in the spot to get the pick. You know, that's – and I realize it's on Dembski for bobbling it. But Ed, Ed Ganey was in the spot to get the pick. So he gets the credit for it and good for him and that. So, But I'm going to tell you, Rob, did you ever feel any point of that game the Riders were going to beat the Blue Bombers? Yeah, when Duke Williams caught that 67-yard touchdown pass. Yeah. And I, so here's a, a last play of the third quarter, I guess, well before the convert. And I thought, well, this is a bomber team that's been impossible to score against in the second half this year. Uh, and the Rough Riders had not scored a touchdown against Winnipeg uh, in the in 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 either of the two regular season games, nor had they scored a touchdown against Winnipeg in the West Final in 2019. So they've gone three full games without scoring against Winnipeg. Yeah. And uh, so when they when they got that touchdown and 
That was their longest scoring play of the season by 43 yards. Yeah, the no, previous tie being Ke- being Kean Schaefer Baker with a 24 yarder, and then 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 uh, Duke Williams goes off for 67. And I thought, is that one of those plays that we're looking at, like we're looking at the Brian Walling run from 1989, or you know the or uh, or Tom Burgess to Jeff Fairholm and Ray Algard late in the in the second half against Edmonton in '89? Is that one of those plays that just yeah. Oh my goodness! Look what they've done. Cody has pulled out another one, and and then they start moving the ball, and uh, and uh, you know, a couple of quick first downs. A very fortunate call uh, with the, with the with the again. That's when I got thinking about a tumor. I thought, okay, the the command center totally botched that call. Uh, can you imagine the outrage in Winnipeg if the Riders won? Um, oh. But uh, it's suddenly the football guards, there's gods, are smiling quite uh, widely. Again, in terms of uh, in the direction of the Rough Riders. So after that Duke Williams penalty, the touchdown and the penalty, I got thinking there's something that me- that's meant to be here. But one play that I think is being overlooked on the Riders' final, uh, after they've gotten the, the two first downs, first down, they throw the slant to Keon Schaefer-Baker, doesn't make the catch. Mm-hmm. And uh, so much has been made of that last pass to Mitch Picton. But if that f- first down play is complete, and it should have been, then what? That play is, yeah. I think, the most uh, uh, down underplayed uh, crucial play of the game. The Picton one isn't as big a deal to me as the one on first down that should have been caught. And then they're in second and ten and scrambling, and they got those. They converted two of the three. Uh, also, the Bombers also ran the ball down their throat. Oh my goodness! Like, I, I loved. I really like. Craig Dickinson, he shows a wry sense of humor. He goes, as he says, the only game time decision was how many yards Mr. Harris was going to gain. Yeah. And I went, and they also mentioned, he says, they're never going to trust another injury report about Andrew Harris. And, and you Harris, and, see through that coming out of Winnipeg, you have the IQ of a gerbil. Yeah. I mean, honestly. I meant to look it up. He had a 12-yard run where I think every rider hit him at one time and just kept going and going and going and thinking, man, this guy's not injured. He's going to carry them on his back. And he did, because one thing the Bombers did in the second half, is they had long drives that ate up a lot of time. Yeah, a 71 yarder and a 72 yarder that devoured yeah. all sorts of clock. Like what what a great, what Buck Pierce deserves kudos for that type of offense. And just kind of like, I don't know if anybody saw the Monday night game last night with all the horrible weather, Mac Jones wins throwing three passes. Yeah. And the Patriots ran the ball like crazy. The Bombers took advantage of the weather conditions was arguably the best back in the league and jam the ball down the rider's throat. And I know it got close in the end, but in the second half, interesting stat, Harry Harris had 68 yards in the first half and 68 yards in the second half. Oh, wow. But crazy enough, which ones do you think were more impactful? The second half, eh? Yeah. It was kind of weird that he did that. So and, there's a... And what's Andrew Harris too, is there were some runs that didn't look like he had anything and he got five yards. Oh, boy, just... You know, he'd spin and, around. He'd turn a seven-yard carry into an 11-yard carry, and uh, that was amazing. And I know it's not an Andrew Harris rider, but, but I was in the Winnipeg Stadium. We sit in the end zone off to the side of it. So you have a look right down the field. And it's a pretty cool, pretty cool angle for a press box. So I would see Andrew Harris running up and down the sidelines after every time he was on the field. He never stopped running. Even when the defense was on the field, he kept moving, kept going to the sidelines. So Andrew Harris was 100%. And I, I know I, we, we, there are other many reasons why, why I was off, but Andrew Harris was just utilized so magnificently that I don't think the Riders, who have a pretty good run defense, you know, they've had a pretty good, they've been pretty good against the run this year, just couldn't stop them. And that's another thing they, you know, they have to take, for, take from that game and sort of, I don't know, examine and see what happened there. But 
Another quick question. I think they only had four penalties for 50 yards, something like that. Yeah. So they penalties weren't an issue, which we thought we've been hammering at penalties being an issue for all along. So that wasn't really a big deal. There were some penalties, but there weren't. And the Nick only time Marshall we mentioned Hammond. Nick Marshall is when he made an interception. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was there there was the Anthony Lanier penalty that uh, on on uh, when he barely touched Zach Calaro. Still, you can't go near the quarterback. And, and when he did that, that was that we think that was a just call, a bit of a ticky tack one. But you've got him. They're making those calls when when there's any kind of contact with a quarterback. That was the only really undisciplined penalty that they, yeah. they had all day. They generally played a pretty clean game. What's surprising to me and, uh, is who would have thought? Let's say the Riders they have played they played two postseason games, and if somebody had told you before the playoffs that in one game, Cody Fajardo will throw four interceptions, <laughs> and in the next game, he will throw zero interceptions, which playoff game do you think they'll win? Exactly, yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it worked exactly <laughs> counterintuitively. And uh, mm-hmm. um, it just, it just, it's so bizarre. It just, you never know with Canadian football. And uh, uh, we're starting to see in the playoffs the Canadian, the Canadian Football League that we've come to enjoy over the years. And there has been that. I realize that that's of absolutely no solace to Rough Rider fans who were hoping that uh, you and I would be sitting in a hotel room in Hamilton today. I don't think the weather conditions really dictate. They were bad. It was cold. It was windy. It was snowing all the time. The field, when I got there around uh, 1.30-ish, in front of God, it, the field was clear. And then by the time I got kickoff, there was a fair bit of snow in the field. I don't I don't think they, other than being the cold and the wind being a, something there, I don't think it was as bad as, as we ever wrote it out to be. But it still wasn't very pleasant. I can't imagine sitting in the stands for three and a half hours like that to watch a game and cheering him on. But yeah, but it wasn't the, the Vanier Cup either. The, the, the field didn't yep. determine the way the game was played. It wasn't Monday night football where, where the, where the weather conditions dictate how, yep. a, how a team plays a game. I mean, that was, the teams were still able to do what they, what they do. And, yep. uh, and uh, I'm glad to see that the, the climate didn't influence the game. As a Jets fan and a, well, not a Bombers fan, Rob, what a cool day to be a Jets fan and a Winnipeg sports fan. They, what a cool day to be a Jets fan who's married to a Leafs fan. <laughs> oh, man, because I, I was having dinner after the game in this uh, the bar in the hotel, and this woman who had a few drinks kept saying, what a great sports day, and slurring her words. I thought she was pretty, no, just, and they man, and give credit to the CFL and the NHL for both accommodating fans who wanted to go to both games and stuff, just, you know, that's a great day, a memorable day for, like, you You remember being in the womb at uh, certain football yeah. games. If you're a young kid who was at the Bomber game and maybe had fortune enough to have go to the Jets game, or even watch it on TV, still be, they'll remember 2021, that Sunday afternoon, or Sunday, then December 5th. I think that's a pretty cool aspect of, the, of what happened. And Can I know... Make, sorry, Mark, go ahead. One other quick other statement I want to make here. The unfortunate timing of the Bob Irving flat or ring of honor induction happening and the, the his banner being unveiled just as the riders came onto the field and people in riderville in winnipeg are calling the riders classes and what and all these things there's so much timing in a game on tv that you the clock is that the riders have to go out at that time to get on the field to make sure everything happens. I, i'm sure they didn't do it on purpose i'm, I'm assuming that the ceremony ran a little long and it interfered with the riders coming on the field. But it was it was a little a ceremony uh, running long that never happens. Never happens. And and I think Bob was and Bob looked freezing, frozen cold out there standing on the field. But we had him on our, our podcast last week and and I got to talk to him a couple of times on the weekend. And what 
still coming up asking Ryder questions. Like, you know, you think of him, you do for that. He could have mailed it in. He didn't mail it in. He had one of the classic calls to, to wrap up the Bombers and go into the Great Cup. He doesn't get to call the Great Cup. That's life in radio. He's not going to bemoan that fact. But, I still uh, hate it. Yeah, I know. But Like, that's just wrong. It's just reality. It's just not fair to the home team radio crews that travel with the team and go to practice every day, and then their team gets to the, the big game, and they're basically they're sitting with us. And what more of an indignity could there be than sitting with us in a press box? And uh, they've got to do something about that. I understand that the, the TSN has been a huge benefactor to the league, but I think you have to take into account certain constituencies within the league and be fair to them. And this monopolistic approach has just gotten a little bit too far with regard to the radio rights. Um, it's not fair. It wouldn't have been fair to Derek Taylor. It's not fair to to uh, to Bob Irving and Doug Brown. It's it's just it it I just it's I find that so disappointing that especially in this year of all years yeah. with with Bob Irving, uh, just coincidentally the Bombers being in a Grey Cup in Bob Irving's final year. They've got to find a way. At least let Bob call the final, final, the end of the game, yeah. or get him into the booth. Or they have to do something to uh, to uh, to acknowledge Bob Irving. He's too modest and too self-effacing to ever demand or insist upon it. And I think he would almost be embarrassed if somebody did. But honestly, I think somebody's got to take the initiative here and do the right thing. Well, on Saturday he was working as hard as he had as any other game, asking a few questions, doing his his game charts and he he went out as you know he had the greatest job in the world and he went on top of the world with the last call of the bombers going to the great cup and i'm sure he'll remember that and we'll miss him but we'll see we may see him again somewhere down the road but it's still pretty bad rob speaking of uh, emotional moments i know we're talking about the game but i kind of think yesterday's press cup garbage bag day almost usurped the game like Dan Clark pouring out his heart about everything oh, about the yeah. offensive line. And you go, okay, I don't, I'm not sure of the order of that. Dan probably went first, didn't Dan he? Dan was first, yeah. And then you make Cody cry. Way to go, you heartless columnist, gormless columnist. You kind well, of I, make I, I, that certainly Cody. wasn't the intent. Let me explain the process here. Um, because you were, uh, your flight didn't get in until after, uh, after the Rough Riders media availability began. And once you get down there, that basically the doors are locked due to COVID protocol. So it's not like you could be a late interloper. So I'm handling all this while you're luxuriating somewhere above uh, 38,000 feet above earth. And uh, so in order to buy myself some time, I wrote a co column that morning on how the Rough Riders need to build around Cody Fajardo. The column went online probably an hour, hour and a half before the actual Rough Rider media gathering. So my plan was to run that column in the Tuesday paper, upgrade it, update it with a quote or two or something that was said during the press, press conference, and then do a, 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 an accompanying story on whatever was most interesting. That turned out to be Dan Clark by several links. So I wanted to buy myself some time to just only have one story to do once I got back to the, to the, to back home and then just touch up the Cody Fajardo question. So in keeping with the premise of the Cody Fajardo column, I wanted to ask him, what does it mean to you to be the quarterback of the, of the Rough Riders? Because that was all about Cody Fajardo being the foundational player. I wanted to get his thoughts on how important it was to him to be that person. And, uh, well, I, he was very emotional. I felt there certainly was certainly no intent on my part to evoke that kind of reaction. It seemed to me to be somewhat of a softball question, but it really struck a chord with him and a lot 
really hit him at one moment and uh and and there were a lot of emotions that welled up and and uh it's that video is on our website it's been shown at a lot of places and and uh but i i felt badly because i certainly didn't want to put cody in a bad spot there it was just i was basically doing that to get a quote to put into my column about cody cody Fajardo, where i could just kind of plunk i almost had a spot for that quote just i was just going to plunk it in and file the column when i got back home and i ended up just running that early column online only and writing an entirely new one <laughs> uh that that uh it was basically a thousand words and 900 of them were cody Fajardo. There was a question that the initial question I asked that had a two minute elicited a two minute response and a very emotional one, and then Jamie Naya as a follow up asked a question about uh, about uh, social media, mental health, and things like that that also elicited a, a very good response. So I basically just let Cody roll, and uh, but that really tells you so much about him. It tells you what this means to him. It it gave you a peek behind the curtains as, as to what it's like for a pro athlete. And sometimes there's this, there's this facade and, and, and they carry on like nothing bugs them and that they're, that, uh, that they're impervious to the, the, uh, the nature of fan reactions and things like that. And how many, how many times you hear them athletes say, Oh, I don't, I don't read the newspapers. I don't pay attention to the media. I don't pay attention to social media. Well, guess what? Most of them do. Others just just hide it and, and, and are somewhat disingenuous about it. And what you get with Cody Fajardo is a very genuine person, a very sincere person, someone who I think is, is well suited to be the quarterback of this team for the next decade. And well, uh, I hope anybody who's been on Cody Fajardo's case watches that and really takes to heart what he said and maybe makes maybe gives them cause to reassess some of the opinions that they've formed or promulgated. That's my sermon for the day. But I got promulgated in, so I'm in a good mood. That's good. I'm going to flip that one up. One of the things I got out of that interview from Cody, and maybe it's a little different, is how much pressure they've been under this year. Oh, yes. From the COVID from the COVID restrictions to not being able to do anything, to the pressure of playing, still not being able to do anything, from having a fun game where you're just excited to go out, still not being able to go out. The testing, and I, I got tested on weekend for the first time, and I kind of sense that. It's not fun being tested. I didn't have to do much. I just had the, the quick rapid test and stuff. And go, this is only twice. Imagine going through that every day. Because no matter what happens, no matter how well you look after yourself, still in the back of your head, what happens if I test positive? Yeah. What happens now? And it's just and that it's not just, sort of, That's not just a Cody Fajardo issue or a player issue. That has ramifications of the entire exactly. team. So when I had my little test, I have to wait five minutes for the red line to come up. And you it's could have another haircut during those five I minutes. I could have. <laughs> Sorry. But it's a five minutes of uncertainty and thinking, yeah, I've done everything. I wear a mask. I keep my distance from people. I don't push my, I have even gone, I've gone, we've gone, went out for the media with dinner the other night and that's, we've done that, but there's still that uncertainty. So imagine doing that. If you go through the macros test where it has a great big long stick that pokes into the back of their brains, going through that every day and dealing that every day and dealing with the joking. And I think what I saw Cody break down, it wasn't really, it was a breakdown. It was emotion and we love it actually. Athletes, don't be afraid to show emotions. I think I'm going to give kudos to the media. Everybody treated it the right way. There was nobody saying, oh, Cody's soft. Cody should be tougher than that. He should be a man because real men don't cry. But that was Cody being himself. And absolutely, I think the media deserves a little bit of credit for handling a sensitive situation. Everybody did well. And I think nobody's questioning Cody's toughness or anything. Today. They're just saying he was emotional. Anyway, back to that. All of the pressure they were under. I wonder how many guys, because I kind of noticed when he was in the post game, he just kept looking over our heads. He never really looked at anybody when he was talking. And I know sometimes Cody can go to slip into Cody speak for us, where he's kind of got this, not 
not routine, but he just knows what he's going to say. And I was wondering, you know, how I saw how emotional he was there. And then on, to see what happened on Monday, I just went, wow. He is, he is a guy they got to build around. Can I bring up, do you think they need to get a little more experienced backup quarterback in there who might bring in a little competition for him, maybe press him a little more and just no. give him an extra body? Do you think they can go maintain this current depth chart of Harker and or fine and Harker, Harker and fine and keep well, going? I think the I think the writing is in the wall with that with regard to Isaac Harker. When the Rough Riders yeah. demoted him to number three and off the active roster at the end of the year, that's I think that's pretty much it there. Um, uh, you know, very surprising move, but uh, you know, but with the quarterbacking depth chart you thought they had a few weeks ago is no longer applies moving forward. Paxton Lynch is certainly out of the equation now. Yep. With the vaccination issue, uh, the the, the uh, demotion of Isaac Harker uh, speaks volumes. So um, that's pre- it's pretty much Mason Fine and and Cody Fajardo, and that is their quarterbacking depth chart. So they're going to yeah. have to do something, but I think that's that's going to be more of an apprentice position. I don't think I don't think uh, they need to uh, bring in somebody to push Cody. I think they need somebody who can come in and and should he should he get hurt, uh, move the offense. They need somebody to do to be able to do what Ar- Isaac Harker did against Edmonton on November second, twenty nineteen. They need that kind of quarterback. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't chew up some salary cap money trying to bring in a someone who can challenge Cody Fajardo for the number one spot. I think he's certainly deserving of uh, a coronation uh, and get, receiving that position by acclamation. I just think they, they need to build around Cody Fajardo. They don't need to tear him apart or tear him down. Rob, we have to we take, take a break, a break here. here. <laughs> oh, how is that for uh, oh, ESP? Jinx, yeah, jinx. <laughs> uh, the, we, we almost said that in unison, and we don't yeah. choreograph these things or plan them very well, so I'm pretty proud of us for that one. We're going to take a quick break. And then we'll be back and I'm going to show some images of my dog and then we'll resume the podcast, which will turn into a podcast because of my dog, Candy. So bear with us. We'll be right back. I'm Rob. There's Murray. And hey, here's Candy. Look okay. at her. She's curled up in a little ball. Oh, Isn't a, she ball of, a ball of candy. She's so oh. cute. Oh. Candy balls are available at your favorite confectionery. Um, for them. Is it? I'm sorry? It's the time of year for candy balls, too. Christmas. There, candy. Is, is there something called a candy ball? I think they remember that. I don't know. I have to look up to that. I remember. I'm diabetic. i got to avoid those things. Um, let's take a close look at the, at the Rough Riders and what they need to do now. I, I, my assessment is, you know, it was interesting what Craig Dickinson said yesterday, talking about the, li- the lines. And I think it was reasonable to think going into the Western final, that it was the offensive line that, that was a primary area that would be a primary area of focus going into the off season. After seeing the Rough Riders get the ball run down their throats uh, in Winnipeg, I'm not sure that there's not some issues that need to be resolved along the defensive line as well. Not only that, they didn't get a lot of pressure. And maybe that's just a function of playing Winnipeg who doesn't let anybody get any pressure. But if you're going to win a championship, you have to go through Winnipeg and you have to get past Stanley Bryant. You have to get past Patty Newfeld, etc. So... Suddenly, if your line is found wanting, if both of your lines are found wanting against that Winnipeg team, and and I think you pretty much know that that team is going to be formidable as long as they are so stout on the offensive defensive lines, you've got to fight fire with fire and might with might. And I think that necessitates a very close look, not only at the offensive line, which is an obvious area that requires refurbishment, but 
what can they do to make that defensive line better? Because you've got to find a way to somehow get to a court, get to the quarterback and get past those fortresses that are up front on the bomber offensive line. Well, I see the lines as 1A and 1B problem. 1A is the offensive line. I think that is just something Brett Boyko and Andrew Lauderdale and Cameron Jefferson, boy, they had a tough time at the tackles this year. And, I, you know, a little bit better in the playoffs. But I think the offensive line, that's the gold standard you're going against. I don't know how, and you have to beat it somehow, and I understand that, but you don't face a line like the Blue Bombers every game, fortunately, and I think... No, but you face that line in a game you've got to win to get to a championship. Yes, and I don't know how they're going to... And they're going to be good for... Well, I think Winnipeg's going to be good for a long, long time. I think this is... Is there, is there a dynasty in sports? Well, I think if you get back-to-back-to-back to back to back Grey Cups, that's almost dynasty-like, dynasty isn't it, Rob? Dynastic? Yeah. Dynastic, I, is that uh, a word? That's what I was looking for. You know, it's that's, just... Uh, and with all these one-year contracts, and I don't pretend to be familiar with the with duration of the Bombers' contracts, but most of the, most of the contracts are, are one year, so it's tough to go from year to year in the CFL. But they made it a priority in Winnipeg. And, and Mike, Mike O'Shea was a big part of this, too, to, to get everybody adjusted and get everybody in under the cap. And that necessitated some bitter pills to swallow when you look at players like Adam Big Hill, et cetera, and, uh, and the pay cuts that they took. So, But they, they have a way of massaging it in Winnipeg to make it work. And they've created an, a family environment there where players, once they get there, they really don't want to leave. And I think that makes it more conducive to amicable and successful negotiations. And that's part of the culture there. And so you've got to think the Bombers are going to have more than a reasonable facsimile of what they're currently putting on the field a year from now, two years from now, because that's in the uh, that's in the water, that's in the oxygen there. And if you want to keep going, uh, finishing second, and want to keep losing to Winnipeg, just stay with what you've got. It's going to get you to a certain point, and you'll be able to put a little star beside the the team and say, you know, nice job. But if you want to win a Grey Cup, you've got to beat Winnipeg at what they do best, and that is basically manhandling people on both line, both sides of the line. But that's not something that happens in one year, though, Rob. Like that, that's a little bit of a longer overturn. Well, also not necessarily. Wonder- you, look at, you, um, you look at 2011, and the Rough Riders had an awful offensive line that year. Just absolutely pitiful. And, uh, and that was, uh, what did they do? They got that offseason, they signed Dominic Picard, who gave, not only gave them a, a starting center, but gave them some meanness. Yeah. And they signed Brendan Labatt. And, and, as much as as was made over the player moves that Brendan Labatt, Brendan Brendan Tamman made in 2013 to build the team that year uh, for a home field Grey Cup, the foundation was set when they said, you know, we, we could spend this money on Andy Fantuz or we could spend this money on Dominic Picard and Brendan Labatt. And that's what they did. They saw that this is a lot. Their offensive line was as bad then as it was this season. Mm-hmm. And they went out and they got two studs. And uh, I don't, know what the free agent pool will consist of this year but given the prevalence of one-year contracts they're going to be those type of players you got to go get them because that's how you win the west otherwise you're going to keep losing west finals yeah i also think the interior line i know dan clark got chewed up pretty badly by the stamp the interior line's pretty good i think evan johnson was a pretty good signing johnson clark and furland are fine and logan furland for what he did in 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 year one having never played at a level higher than junior football. Two of those three players are from the Regina Thunder. What an amazing program that is. Yeah. That's and, uh, and, you know, Evan Johnson, earlier in the season, it seemed like he had some struggles, but he came around. I don't see that there's a problem with the interior of the line. It's the tackle. It's, it's it's the tackles. And I don't think those are especially tough problems to solve in that 
you're talking about Americans and there's a lot more American tackles who can play than there are Canadian tackles. So yeah. there's a supply and demand really doesn't work to their detriment in that case. They've just got to find their equivalent. Well, I, I shouldn't say that their equivalent of Stanley Bryant because there may never be one. No. But uh, they've got they to did have Jamarcus Hendrick here before. Too. But you're looking tw- again and go back to 2012 and what the Rough Riders did. They traded a lower round draft pick to the Edmonton, now Elks, for Xavier Fulton. Mm-hmm. And what his job he did at left tackle. The problem may solve itself if Taron Vaughn can can come back and, and play at the level to which uh, people are accustomed uh, next year. Uh, after a year off football and after surgery, that's not assured. But if Taron Vaughn's healthy next year, that takes care of that. Yeah. Um, you kind of touched a little bit upon the free agency world. I've been doing a quick scan through the... I type in the player's name contract, type in the player's name contract in the last couple of days. I usually leave it for that. Based on what I've seen, there's only three guys that are signed through 2022. Cody Fajardo, <laughs> Brandon Labatt, and Dan Clark. Because I was just getting tired of, tired of typing 21 in there. So they've got a lot of free agent work Rookie contracts do. excluded. Rookie contracts, yes, that's excluded. But some of them, that's only KSB. Sorry, Schaefer Baker is one of them. I think Braden Lanius. I, I, I have to admit, I have to double check those. I don't want to say anything uncertain. Enough. But yeah, so... They've got a lot of work to do, and, and uh, Craig Dickinson had said yesterday that he, they want to sign their own guys first. Now, you and I used to know that, seemed to be back in the day, on garbage bag day, they'd sign a contract and they put it in the, in the drawer and they'd announce it as the season goes on. With the new CBA coming up, I don't know how many guys are going to be willing to do that now, to sign a contract and lock themselves into whatever the new CBA is going to bring. Well, so it'll be an interesting offseason, but they still got to play. You sign the contract, you get a signing bonus. And the players played for reduced salaries in 2021 due to the shortened season. So it's nice to get an influx of cash in the middle of the winter. uh, And that's what a signing bonus would bring. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some very surgical moves by the Rough Riders leading up to free agency. I think the players see that this is a place that that they want to be. And I think they generally like playing for Craig Dickinson. They find Jeremy O'Day to be fair. And they certainly enjoy the fan base when they can uh, actually get out in public and mingle. Um, that's like with the Bombers, you know, they're, the players are going to see this sold-out stadium or near-sold-out stadium for the West Fire. They're seeing the money that's coming in, and they kind of want theirs. They did their part this year, and looking at next year, they kind of want to get their money out of it, which is a normal way of thinking. But, you know, can the, are the Bombers going to be positioned to do that with the salary cap, whatever it is? So that's that may allow some room for some movement, more movement that the Bomber players... It's a great place to play. I, I read a quote today from some guy who said, it's just like playing in the NFL here. They treat you like NFL. They're doing that. The Bombers are doing that for the Grey Cup. All the families are coming. They're finding some way around COVID to get these families across the border so they can see their their loved ones playing the Grey Cup. So the And I, I would think the Riders would do the same thing. Well, especially with the facilities that they have here. It's NFL caliber so facilities at the stadium. How you know, and, crazy, Rob? You know, and everybody's talked about money. The Bombers are going to, supposedly going to have a pretty solid year. You know, like Wade Miller, I didn't say how much, but it sounds like they may even uh, make money. Like, I find it unfathomable in a 14-game season with all the expenses, but it may not be as as hard hit as reading that in one of the, I think it was uh, Paul Friesen might have written that, I think. But anyway. The thing is, they get 31,000 people for a West final a week after the Rough Riders get 24,001 paid oh. attendance. Um and the weather was a lot worse in Winnipeg on Sunday yeah. than it was the previous weekend in Regina. 
I'm still getting feedback on what happened to the Rough Rider playoff attendance. And what does this mean going forward for the riders as far as season ticket renewals, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, is this just strictly a function of COVID or is there some, there's some fatigue there? Is there some, is there a diminution of the fan base? And you've got to remember too, that the, the smaller the rider crowds, the longer it takes to pay off the stadium because there's that facility fee that yeah. is appended to every ticket. And that facility fee is the mechanism by which the stadium is supposed to be repaid in 30 years. But it's going to take longer than 30 years now with the COVID killing off the 2020 season and attendance being down this year. So that's their whole formula. And it was predicated on upon the expectation of a pretty robust crowd and a series yeah. of robust crowds. What what's going on? What's going what's coming up in 2022? Is is this fan base has this fan base been overtaken by the bombers in terms of sheer uh, devotion and active support? Can you ask me that after the 2022 Great Cup? I think we have a year. I think a lot of people supported the riders, even though the numbers were down, because they want to get that ticket to the Great Cup game in 2022. That is going to be the return to normalcy with that 22. Even Hamilton's Great Cup this week. This Hamilton's Great Cup is kind of a Great Cup light, almost a COVID light. The Eastern teams are all getting together, put together their own sort of a ride of Western teams with the exception of the Edmonton Elks who have the spirit of Edmonton. So it's more of a, a COVID-aware Grey Cup with no social distancing and stuff. 2022, hopefully, hopefully, we're out of this world. Yeah, well, whatever I know. And it can be a more a normal Grey Cup where you're shoulder to shoulder with fans and that money would come there and maybe generate and get some income. Because I'm, I'm with you. I'm concerned. And be honest, Rob, I've been asked hundreds of times and we don't have the answers. We don't know why. We think it's COVID. It is, could be too much. It could be the it's weather. It's undeniably COVID, but to what extent? The Bombers had six weeks to sell this game. Yeah. Does that work into their advantage? If you think about that, that's the riders might have had two weeks to sell their game and people know it's on. Maybe maybe people just aren't interested in football in late November and December. That could be another thing. Like I know the Great Cup sold out, but it's a sold out at a 24,000 seat stadium. How, how does that, what does that say? And Someone said to me, my nephew mentioned, this 400, he looked at the Great Cup, it was 400 bucks for the tickets he was interested in. Well, Eek. he's not going to spend 400 bucks to go see a Great Cup in Hamilton. He likes the CFL, but not that much. So it'll be interesting bucks to see. for a Great Cup ticket. I remember my tickets to the 76 Great Cup for like 20. We looked at that yeah. and it was, ooh, 20 bucks for a Great Cup ticket. Well, you know, <laughs> hey, I hate to say it. I went to a Leafs game on a Saturday night and I spent over $200 for my two t- for our tickets. So it does happen. It's expensive world if you want to go to sporting events. I went to a Leafs game in December of 2019. And uh, during intermission, I uh, the 263-pound version of me had to have <laughs> popcorn and a Coke. So I I went and went to the concession. 18 bucks for a popcorn and a Coke at a Leafs game. <laughs> I think so, I spent uh, 16 bucks on a beer. I'm pretty sure one of the big, I am not small beer. Hey, I like a big beer, but we go to such rare, it's so rare that I go to a game like that, that I don't really scrimp on what I'm going to get. I'm going to spend the money and I, that's my own way of doing things. Uh, but that's like, Rob, do you want to talk a little about the Great Cup? Are you excited sure. about I it? I had my plans. Like- I've been looking at Toronto's jazz clubs. I was going to sneak into Toronto yeah. a couple of nights. I looked at the website for the Jazz Bistro. I looked at the website for the Rex. I uh, took a look at the NHL schedule and saw that the Leafs were playing Chicago. And I even sent you an inquiry. Hey, Murr, on Saturday night, want to go see the Leafs play Chicago? So I think I ultimately jinxed the Saskatchewan. Yeah, you did jinx um, I think there's uh, a game, too. 
<laughs> I, I just don't see anybody touching Winnipeg. Uh, I mean, the Toronto should have beaten Hamilton last week. Yeah, it's a home game for Hamilton, but Winnipeg is just so vastly superior to to any other team. I, I mean, I think the real Great Cup was played uh, two days ago as we record this at IG Field. Well, there are two great games on on Sunday too, though. Fun to watch. I, I, just, I haven't watched all of the Great Cup games, the East Final, because I had to get to the stadium. But they're fun down in the middle. Yeah, Jagar, those Tigers field goals are exciting, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> Davis might be the best player in the league. That oh, that pass knockdown! Like he was like a 180 pound defensive back, making him play. Has turned his head. He played it perfectly. His hips and his feet were right. And I'm going, holy smokes! Is that a great play by? And he can maybe make the difference. If I can be completely honest with people, I always am. I grew up a Tiger Cats fan. I grew up in Sudbury. I've been black and gold. I believe black and gold. I'm look at, hoping. Look at, your, look at your environment. It's. I know. It's kind of hard to avoid that. It's been 1999 since the Tiger Cats won a great cup. Ronnie was coaching. Ronnie was coaching. And when he took over that team, they had a great defense and not much of an offense. I think that's what it was. And Ronnie then generated. They bring, then they bring in Danny McManus and they bring in Darren Flutie. And they change it all in that 19. So it's been since then. And I know I'm supposed, I'm not, I'm unbiased and I live in Saskatchewan. I can't, I still can't give up on my Tiger Cats. And I think people understand that. So I'm hoping that somehow the home field advantage, maybe Dane Evans is, they are, they'll have a week to study. Maybe Dane Evans can come out of there and, and do, lead them on the way. Gerard Davis, Brandon Banks comes back to being Brandon Banks. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Banks things, is a Brandon Banks game. They got yeah. a pretty good receiving core there. Yeah, Don Jackson's so they, a really good running back. So they bring them all, and maybe, maybe the football gods smile down upon the Tiger Cats like they did for the Blue Bombers in 19, and somehow they pull out a win. Now, that's my heart. My brain knows the Blue Bombers are, are there's no, I don't see, a, there used to be a hole in their kicking game, and it's still a little bit there, but, you know, a team that plays that well in the second half, I think usually carries over to the next game, and the Bombers are going to carry it over. And in my brain, I know they're they they should win. It shouldn't be. I don't. I don't. It may be. You know. I think we may be enjoying the Arkells at the half more than the first half because the Bombers might be that dominant. But in my heart, my heart thinks just one little one for the Tiger Cats and we'll be fine for a little while. How's I never that? knew you were a tender person, Mer. I know. At least that grizzled visage lies a softy. I know, a sentimentalist, uh, perhaps. I've been keeping it inside since I've lived in Saskatchewan. Well, no, I remember in 89, I was the most popular guy in the province because everybody wanted me to go watch the, the Great Cup with them. I elected going to watch the Great Cup game with Ron Petrie because I didn't have to work that night. I was on the desk. And watching Ron Petrie and all the guys, I can't remember all the guys in his basement, just absolutely losing it when the Riders won. And I thought, you know, some, that's a good, that was a good thing. We'll give them that. But maybe and, not. And what a game that was. It was a game like that. Hey, Tony, no one remembers Tony Champion's catch, eh? Oh, they do. They well, do. Well, they do. We just have to read, read my book on the 89 Rough Riders. I interviewed Tony Champion. He was what wonderful. And I still remember With Suter broken ribs. And Suter watching that. I think that was a pretty good catch. Glenn Suter even saying yeah. that. Yeah. And, you know, Harry Skipper, after Champion makes a catch, like, what are you going to do as a defensive back? Yeah. Um, it's hard to believe that 32 years have elapsed since that game. I mean, I was I was at it. I was sitting up in the uh, 500 level, and I won a bet against a Tiger Cats fan. George Bentley and I put a 20 on it. <laughs> well, George so, Bentley, my other Tiger Cats fan. I uh, I, I I did uh, I did uh, profit upon, uh, off that, which was good because that was an expensive, uh, impulsive weekend oh. trip. 
Hey, but, speaking uh, of I just I can't see Winnipeg losing this one. I couldn't see them losing last weekend. I just that that team is it's it's just like a it's it's like a garburator. You just throw the yeah. opponent in there and they just get chewed up. Let's give a little credit. I don't, does Zach Kolaris get credit for what happens? The fact that he had all of those turnovers, didn't get flustered, and comes and then the second half played very well. Like they got some great catches by Darvin yeah. Adams, oh, and Kenny, Kenny Lawler. That one out. he stretched out. Yeah. You know, I mean, another inch or two, and maybe we're having we're talking about a different game. And uh, mm. but he put the pass. He put he basically threw the threw those passes where. The receiver could get them or nobody could get them. And he them. handed the ball off nicely to Andrew Harris. Very efficiently, very artistically. <laughs> very efficiently, which and, uh, we don't over, we overlook a little bit, but you got to do it right because the guy's got to go. But here's right something right. I keep thinking, you know, like Cody Fajardo is getting so much heat. Um, what if you put Cody Fajardo behind the Winnipeg Blue Bombers offensive line? Honestly, I think Cody Fajardo is MLP this year and not Zach Caleros. Yeah. You know, and then so much is made about Jason Moss and the strategy. And I've criticized him. You've criticized them. I think my dog has criticized him. But how do you, if you're Jason Moss, how do you strategize with one arm tied behind your back? And, um, and that's basically the predicament that Cody Fajardo and Jason Moss were in this year with that offensive line. And so I want to see what the Riders can do with an offensive line that is more reminiscent of 2019 or 2013 or even 2012 or 1976, or 1966, and not something that reminds me of 2011, 1979, 2016. Um, there's only so much you can do when you have that offensive line. And uh, so, yeah, Zach Kolaros had a really good year, a great year. He should be the most outstanding player this year, and good right. for him. But uh, he also he's also in a situation that is very conducive to success offensively. And I'm not sure that Jason Moss or... Cody Fajardo were, and I think the issues that, that the actual or perceived issues that pertain to them were symptomatic of, of the Rough Riders problems and certainly not the cause. It's also interesting to think they had how many months to get ready for this season and maybe work out those issues that you before you mentioned with Jason Miles, but maybe how do you when Taryn Vaughn gets hurt in camp? How do you when on right before when, training camp Brendan Labatt opts out of the season. And who was the other tackle uh, that retired? Kobe Cofield retires. Uh, Cyrus Kuanjito or Kuandijo decides yeah. to retire. Um, and then injuries start to, to mount. Losing Shaq Evans in week two, I think just just that that was a blow that the offense never really entirely recovered from. That and a single uh, target on Sunday to Shaq Evans. Yeah. Not one. Not How one. Can you just I, I you know he, I'm going to rewatch the game. I just want to see if there's any evidence that they even looked to him before looking somewhere else. It just, that was baffling. And, you, and, you know, a lot has been made about Shaq Evans and his, you know, is he was very frustrated player. And was, is there friction between Zach, between Shaq Evans and Cody Fajardo? Is there, is there discord between Shaq Evans and Jason Moss? No. Shaq Evans is a tremendously proud athlete, a tremendously accomplished athlete. And, for whatever reason, it just didn't work for him this year. And, you know, Glenn Suter talked a bit on CKRM the other day about maybe there just there just became a trust issue because very quickly Cody Fajardo developed the kind of rapport with Duke Williams this year that he that he had with Shaq Evans in 2009. I just think Shaq needs a fresh start in 2019, a full season as uh, and, a, and a healthy season. And I think you'll see a Shaq Evans that reminds you of 2019. I hope they don't give up on him. I don't think there's, that's just a guy who just, he's shown he wants to be here. 
Shaq Evans could have made more money signing elsewhere. And he signed two contracts in Saskatchewan when I'm sure the offers were, were as lucrative, if not more, elsewhere. And, and Cody, uh, oh, sorry. Shaq Evans is, is, is uh, if, they, if they bail on Shaq Evans, I think that's a huge mistake. But Cody also mentioned that Shaq Evans was still part of the team, was still enthusiastic, still passionate, still showing, like running down there and the guys scored touchdowns, which they don't do that often. <laughs> to celebrate those. Get a lot of exercise doing that. <laughs> <laughs> to getting those kind of things, to celebrating those kind of things. But I think just he never really recovered from that foot injury. And, you know, we mentioned it too, losing Kyran Moore to a knee injury. There's another big, one of their deep receivers who could have contributed a lot. So there's yeah, the injuries, he's, but... He's such imagine, an elusive player. He was, you know, he's their most elusive yeah. offensive player. We don't, you know, it's because we're at the end of the season, we can look back. And I've mentioned this many, many times. I still can't get over that Thursday with four torn Achilles. Yeah, and I within, what, 10 minutes or six, six minutes, minutes or something? Six minutes. And you go like, and it's still when you think about that, and you go, and then another one a couple weeks later with uh, with Williams. And then, you know, and then another one, Ricardo Lewis has one. So six torn yeah. Achilles on one team. And of all my life in sports, I've heard of them. I've heard of Fred, but. In life, Darren Durant was the only guy I'd ever heard of tearing Achilles with the riders. In my time, there might be some in the background. But you know, Corey Sheets did it before he was a rough rider and after he was a rough rider, but not during. And so, uh, Let's have some credit to, to Jeremy O'Day, to uh, Craig Dickinson, to the training staff for getting, not for, getting, for getting them through a season that's just been incredibly challenging. And literally, when, sometimes when teams say they battle through adversity, like the Blue Bombers say they battle through adversity, I'm trying to wonder... Yeah, what, was was I the coffee not was the coffee not at the optimal temperature one morning? What yeah. adversity did the bombers have? No, and then you that's know? the kind of part you go like, and there there probably was. They maybe had some, maybe had a flight issue, or I think somebody sneezed. Had, back Andrew in Harris September. was gone for seven weeks. That's adversity, I guess. But they didn't. I don't think they lost. They, they lost two games. meaningless games in that time. So it'll be. So they had the Kenny Lawler situation, yeah, and he that, ended up missing a game. But yeah. over, you know, they didn't have the, the mounting injuries that the Rough Riders did. Um, there was a pretty, that, that luck is a part of it too. And the Bombers had, I think, more good fortune than, than not. Um, but I think when you look at this Rough Rider team, or maybe this is a good way to, to wrap up, I think they, they squeezed that tube as much as they could squeeze that tube this year. Yeah, they, they, you know, with a play here and there, they could, they could be playing again in another week or this weekend. But Realistically, when you look at this team, getting to a West final with an injury list that at one point, they, at one point they had 17 guys on the six game yeah. injured list and not just for stashing purposes. Those were no, legitimate sure. injuries. Yeah. Uh, when, when you've got that many injuries and you're still a competitive football team, uh, more than competitive football team, I don't think there's any reason for the riders to hang their heads. They're disappointed. And I'm sure there, there's a few what ifs being asked, uh, but all in all, I think they squeeze that tube as much as you could squeeze that tube. Yeah. And Craig, uh, Craig mentioned that yesterday with the offensive line. Maybe that's as good as the offensive line can play, or as well as the offensive line can play. They didn't, they didn't give up a sack the week before. No, and we've seen games where Cody Cody has been more under more pressure than he was this past week. And yeah. didn't he make some amazing plays when he was escaping the pocket? with those little throws right before he get to the line of scrimmage, when it looked like he was doomed and he'd flip the ball to William Powell and, and, and resourcefully get something. And then again, those are kind of some of the things that are overlooked in the equation, but uh, given better luck, uh, given a better offensive line, given some uh, astute signings during the off season, I think the Riders can be an improved team next year. 
uh, for them to do what they did in light of the circumstances they faced, uh, miraculous is too strong a word and too effusive a form of praise, but uh, it certainly is is admirable and worthy of commendation. Now, this is just going to extend us a little bit longer. I don't. I meant to ask this earlier. Do they have to get to the Grey Cup? Does a home, yeah. being the home team in the Grey Cup is that a a must do? That's that's reality. They they have to be in the Grey Cup. Well, even do if they, the Grey Cup wasn't here next year, I would say they have to get to the Grey Cup because what else is 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 missing from the checklist? You know, yeah. they've 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 been in the past two West Finals. They have finished first in the West. They've had the home playoff games three consecutive seasons. Uh, the mantra, though, has been sustained success. And how do you define success? You do that not by winning double-digit, not by posting a double-digit victory total, not by having a home playoff game. You win those home playoff games. You you win West Finals. You get to the Grey Cup, and then you win that. Uh, they had a 13-5 and five team that didn't even get to the Grey Cup, and they, the team that they lost to in the, in the West Final in 2019 won the Grey Cup. They lost to a third-place team. So the Grey Cup could be in on Neptune next year. <laughs> and I would suggest that the Rough Riders have to not only get to it and win it, because that's the next step. Yeah, that's good. And I think that's a good spot to end it, isn't it? I do. I, I got yeah, some writing to do. I know you do too, because I ordered you to do some. Yes. <laughs> get your thousand words in by 1230. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to give us the little, uh, put the little, mention the little whatever it is at the end. And then I'm going to show my dog again. And then we can sign off. Until the outro, time. I guess. An outro. outro. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and a five-star rating. It helps us grow the podcast. And I, this is the first, I'm going to try and not blow this for the first time. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Only one paragraph to go. If you'd like to send us a question, you can email Rob, that's me, at rvanstone@postmedia.com, and we'll read it on the show. You can follow me, Rob, on Twitter, at Rob Vanstone, or Murray, at Murray LP. And if you follow me on Twitter, you'll get to see lots of photos of my beautiful dog, Candy. Mur, thank you so much. Great job uh, this season. We're not done yet. We're going to be back one more, um, two more next maybe. week. And uh, and uh, we'll also be back as circumstances dictate during the winter, such as important player moves, important personnel moves, free agency, draft, uh, or if my dog is being especially cute. <laughs> For Murray McCormick, and for Candy, I'm Rob Vanstone. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next week. Take care and stay warm.